I want to begin this morning by talking about junk. How many of you open all of the mail you receive? All of your email? I hope, I hope no one opens all the mail they receive, like in your junk box. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails. Some of them, I think if I opened, I would lose my family, my marriage, all my money, and my job. There's so much junk mail. It's interesting, like, even with, and with little kids, the junk mail that comes in the mailbox... You know, when our kids were younger, that you know, they would see some of this stuff and they would think that we were we just become millionaires. You know, and and all of these promises, and the problem is they're not true. They don't deliver. It's deceptive and they use deception. And again, it's with that way with emails, it's that way with regular mail, it's that way with sometimes phone calls that I've won this free dream vacation and here's all it requires, and it's just not true. It's filled with junk, 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 lies, 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 lies. And if you believe them, at best, you're going to become broke, at best, bankrupt, at best, if not worse. But there's also what I'm going to call Jesus junk, okay? There's a lot of Jesus junk. There's a lot of things that are promised about life eternal, about fulfillment, about joy, about health, about wealth, about happiness. And there's all kinds of things that are promised, oftentimes in the name of Jesus, that it's just junk. It's not true. It's not biblical. It's not authentic. It doesn't lead to life. Uh, at best, you're going to become spiritually bankrupt. And Jesus was no fool to this. Jesus knew this was going to happen. Just like with little kids when they don't understand because they're immature, and in a sense it's not their fault, they're, they're immature, they need to be taught wisdom to not, you know, respond to all the junk mail. Well, Jesus takes his disciples who are very, 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 very young in the faith. In John chapter 15, he has the 11, and he's preparing them, he's equipping them, he's readying them for his departure, because he's not going to be able, be able to be there with them anymore, and he's already warned about wolves in sheep's clothing, pretending to be shepherds, peddling what I'm going to call Jesus junk. So John 15 is super helpful, because Jesus is getting ready to leave, and he's helping believers immature as they may be, to, to know some certain basic things that make you discerning, that help you to not be gullible, to be vulnerable, to be ready instead. And so in John 15, again, context is he's getting ready to leave, he's going to be crucified, but even after he's raised from the dead, he's going to ascend. So John 15 is a great equipper kind of text. So if you'd like an outline this morning, I'll say John 15 tells us three things about authentic Christianity. Three indispensables, three vitals, three important things about genuine Christianity, authentic Christianity that every Christian should know, starting with these immature 11. And you might be at a place where you're immature in the faith. You might be very mature in the faith. So this is just a reminder but hopefully it will at least then equip you to help other people who might be spiritually gullible to prepare them. Number one, it's found in verse one. Let's summarize it this way. Jesus is the source of eternal life. That's just a Christian basic. Jesus is the source of eternal life. Number two, another basic of Christianity, authentic Christianity. 
there are fitting responses to Jesus. Appropriate responses. There's a certain way to respond to Jesus. If He is the source of eternal life, we should act a certain way toward Him if we're His followers. And that's in verses 2 to 17. That's what we're going to focus on this morning. And then a third basic of Christian understanding that every Christian should know, starting with these and hopefully with us. Hardship is a guarantee. Hardship is a guarantee. And that's in verses 18 to the end, and we won't get to that this morning. The source of eternal life. Therefore, there's a certain fitting way to respond to Him if you claim Him as your Savior. Boy, if I could just get people to know those two things. Not to mention, if I could just get people to also know and understand from Jesus Himself, if you're a Christian, life is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. If I could get Christians to buy into those things and accept those things from Jesus, I could help them avoid lots of Jesus junk. You could avoid a lot of it. You can, you, you can be better equipped to help other Christians to turn off the television and stop listening to that person or whatever it might be. So here we go. In, a, in, in, a, in an attempt to be good followers of Christ, discerning, wise, number one, Jesus is the source of eternal life. Go ahead and look with me at verse 1. This is review from last week. Jesus says, here's what He wants them to remember of all things, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I am the true vine. It's a metaphor, it's a word picture, symbolizing life, all sorts of sources claiming to give life. And I am the true source of life. And in context of John, he's been saying again and again and again, eternal life, eternal life, eternal life, eternal life. Believe in me, trust in me, rest in me for life eternal. That's been what we've seen again and again and again. So we're going to read that in that context. So when he says, I am the true vine, we know what he means. There are, and that implies there are false vines. There are those who offer promises that don't, don't actually become reality. Complimenting this is John 14 where he says, I am the truth. So we need to remember that. Christians need to remember that. All roads don't go to heaven. All roads who have the name God and faith and church and even Christ, because there are many false messiahs, don't lead there. That might not you know, settle well with everybody because we're supposed to say everything's equal and there's nothing better than anything else. It's just a matter of how you feel, not how you think or whatever it might be. Well, Jesus is, is helping His disciples even then and there. And they're living in a, in a super pluralistic culture. I am the true vine. Let's remember that. How can He say that, by the way? How could Jesus say, I am the true vine? Well, we've been learning in John, He came from heaven. And He proved that He came from heaven. Just not with a bunch of empty talk based upon the way He taught, based upon what He did. 
Not to mention what he's going to do. Not only that, Jesus is going to be the one and only, because he becomes part of the human race, becomes one of us, the one and only human being to do what God expects. He did everything right. He's the only one who deserves eternal life because he treated God the Father like he's God. He did everything right. And then what does he do? All along he's been intending, he's been talking about it since chapter 2, to go to the cross and be treated as if he did everything wrong. And then be raised from the dead, proving that he did everything right. And it would be wrong for him to stay dead. He's the one and only human being to have ever done that. He did that so he could have eternal life. So all who would believe in him, who would trust in him as their representative, as their substitute, as their sacrifice, could have eternal life. That's why, just to remind you of these basic things, these statements don't come out of nowhere. All kinds of people have walked the earth and made audacious, crazy, wild-eyed claims. There's a whole background to why Jesus would say, Disciples, don't ever forget this. I'm the true vine. Well, that makes sense in light of what he's been saying. Now let's move on. I don't want to move on. I like to live in that world. Now let's move on and talk about fitting responses. Jesus is the one and only requirement meter, so he's the one and only true source of life. But, but how should we respond to him? Verses 2 to 17 is where we will be today. And there's a whole lot there, okay? And it's super easy to be overwhelmed, and so I'll try to go fast. I'll try to make connections so it all fits together. But it, John 15 doesn't have to be super complicated. Here's who Jesus is. Verse 1, 2 to 17. Here is how disciples, followers, believers should respond to him. There's a fitting way to respond to him. And then finally, the last part, 18 and following, is about persecution and hostility. Because if they were hostile toward Jesus and you're a follower of Jesus, they're going to be hostile toward you. So we're going to keep all that in mind, but John 15 doesn't have to be that hard. And it's really important. How how am I going to respond? How am I going to live? How are you going to live? If Jesus is my source of eternal life and He paid it all for me, now what should I do? And some people are going to give this answer and other people are going to give this answer and then there's this other kind of answer and this kind of nuanced answer and Jesus is going to tell them, "Here's, here's how you respond. Here's what I want you to do. How to live the Christian life. What's a priority of the Christian life? God, what would you want me to do with my life? We're going to have those kinds of questions answered. Okay. But before we get there, there's always that with me, you know. Just one more thing. Uh, It's like the Columbo thing, for those of you who are older. See, we have have an old enough crowd to know what I'm talking about. Back when I was in sales out of college, I used to have this like mentor. His name was Dan, and he was the total Columbo salesman. So we would go into somebody's office in downtown, you know, big office building, and of course the job of the receptionist is to, you know, 
turn salespeople away. That's their job. They're, they're like the guard dog, you know, and that's, that's good. They're trying to protect people's time. I like that. But I want to make some money. So, you know, they tell you no, and then you just leave, and you're all depressed, and, you know, that's just how it is. And so Dan would take me, and we'd go into someone's office, and he was super nice, and he'd talk to them. And, and of course, they're basically showing him the door, telling him no. And then we'd walk for the door like this and turn our back, and then Dan would go, by the way, what was the office manager's name again? Oh, that's Lisa, blah, 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 blah. Oh, oh okay. And, and what's, what's, her, what's her extension number? It was as slick as you could possibly be, but it's total Columbo. Because as soon as we turned our back, Dan would say, that receptionist knew that he or uh, he, he, their, role was, their, their job was done. They got us out the door, but he put his hand on the door. By the way, it's Columbo. Anyway. I, I had no plan to talk about any of that. What are we talking about? Oh, one more thing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> My kids know who Columbo is, don't you? <laughs> hey, boys. Rosebud. That's in Columbo. Anyway, with this, a whole other, we'll do another sermon series on Columbo sometime. Not really. Before we get to how we're supposed to respond, and all of that was a waste of time, I'm, I, I'm sorry, I'll preach longer so you feel better. Um, before we get to our response, we have the response of the Father. Here is where I did want to go. I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my Father is the vine dresser. Yes, I want us to talk about our response, but isn't it interesting, if Jesus is the true vine, there's an appropriate response, not just from you if you're a believer, there's actually a response from God the Father. There's a, an appropriate response. If Jesus really is the true source of life, Jesus, the Son of God, then the Father has an appropriate response to His Son. He's the vine dresser. He cares for His Son. And all those who are attached, connected to His Son. So we're not just talking about Jesus the Son. We're going to learn about the Father as well. Because if the Son is something, the Father responds appropriately. He cares for His Son. And what we're going to see today is that also means the Father cares for us. Even if we don't feel it or we don't see it, we're going to learn more about that this morning. Because the Father responds to the Son and He responds appropriately to all who are united to the Son by faith. No more Columbo illustrations, I promise. Here we go. Verse 2 says, appropriate response being talked about. Every branch in me, Jesus is using this metaphor, every branch associated with me, connected with me, that does not bear fruit, He, the Father, takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Super simple, right? But important, the Father cares about the health, if you will, of this vine and all that's attached to the vine. And so if you care about it, what you're going to do is want it to do what it's supposed to do. And, and, and by virtue of the fact that it's a vine, it's supposed to bear fruit, bear much fruit. And so on the negative, He, he, he tears away the dead. And He cares for and prunes the living so that it's even more healthy, 
So he, the father does something negative, but he does something negative to even create a greater positive. And as we'll see as we move on through this, since the father is for the success, the fruitfulness, he does positive and negative things. We already know if we're the 11 disciples, there have been those who've been associated with Jesus who proved to not be the real thing. The obvious one in the room, who's not in the room anymore, is who? Is Judas. But there have been other would-be followers who thought, this is awesome, we, got, we can get healthy maybe? We can, we can have a good meal maybe? But we really don't like what he's teaching. And so some of his followers didn't follow anymore. John 6, it's easy to remember, John 6, 6, 6. Not everybody associated with him is helping it to do what it's supposed to do, the vine. So there is the negative taking away and there's the positive pruning. We're going to see that the fruit that is supposed to be produced is love. Okay? That's what people are supposed to do. People are supposed to love God and they're supposed to love neighbor. And we're going to see that the fruit in the Christian life is we're to be loving as Christ loved us. I love to remember that even if I can't see or feel the Father's work in my life, that He's at work in my life and He's at work in the life of the church. And all those who are associated with Christ, whether legitimately or not legitimately, the Father's involved because the Father is concerned about and cares about and how about will ensure, given the fact that He's Almighty God, the success of that vine. In the end, it's going to happen. And I'm grateful to be able to know this. So far, so good? And then here comes an aside. He leaves the metaphor. He goes for a different word picture. And I think the reason he does it, because then he's going to get right back on track. I think the reason he does it, we're going to see it in the next verse, is because there could be room for confusion. In fact, a lot of people are confused about what John 15 teaches. So he takes a moment in verse 3. Jesus does. We're going to take a moment and look at verse 3. Here's a really important assuring aside. Already, look there, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Think immediate context. Think 11 disciples who will become apostles. And he's talking about pruning and he's talking throwing away. He's going to talk about burning up. He's going to talk about judgment from God, care from God. And there could be a question about, well, wait a second, does, does salvation, eternal life come by, by doing the right thing? That doesn't even make a lot of sense because everything Jesus has been saying is believe in its eternal life, believe in its eternal life, not what you do. But in John 15, he's telling them to do all of these things. A little assuring aside, it's in verse 3. You're already, you, you 11, are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Chapter 5, verse 24 would be a good example. Uh, uh, a good example. Chapter 6, verse 68 would be a good example. The word he speaks is, is the gospel word. When they believe Jesus' word, they have eternal life. He's talking about the word, the revelation about himself, 
who He is and what He does. They've already been cleansed by His Word, the Gospel Word, by the reality of who He is and what He's done, and they've come to believe in Him. So before we start talking about cutting and throwing into fire, before we start talking about true disciples do the right thing, He tells them, and He wouldn't have said this if Judas were there, let me assure you, you're already clean because of the gospel. You've already come to believe my word. You've already come to rest in me, the living word. So you're already cleansed. I think that's a good thing for us to remember. John chapter 10, verse 28. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. That's just another way of saying what he's saying here. But he's going to make it very clear that genuine believers, like them, they, they, they persevere. They love Christ. They submit to Christ. They, 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 they have fruit in their life. But he wanted to make sure we understood. Okay, now, let's keep moving. Abide in me. This is the expected response. If I'm a Christian, what should I do, Jesus? Abide in me. Continue in me. It's used, I think, ten times, at least in the original language, in verses 4 to 10 alone. Abide in me. Continue in me. Stay attached to me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Remember our context. He's going to go on in this chapter and talk about how Things are going to get terrible. And you're going to be persecuted. And people are going to hate you because you believe in me. And there's going to be hostility. And it's going to be hard. And you're going to question whether or not it's worth it. And so Jesus is saying, you need to abide in me. Remember context, I am the true vine. Continue, abide, stay attached to. You might be tempted, but don't do it because there's not life there. And if you abide in me, what does he say? Well, if you don't, you can't bear fruit. You can't do the right thing. You can't do what you're made to do. Stay attached. Stay devoted. Don't leave your first love, we might borrow from the book of Revelation. It's Him. It's like an encouraging promise, but also kind of a warning. If life is found in Christ, you, you can't wander from Christ. And if lively living, spiritual life, living, living the Christian life which is fruit-bearing, you can't do that on your own. You've got to be attached to the vine. The key is Christ. Christ is the key for salvation. Christ is the key for sanctification, if you want to use the categories. Attached, life, devotion to Him. Verse 5 says, I am the vine. We know, according to verse 1, I am the true vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides, continues, in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And it's one of those moments where with fear of being struck by lightning, I can say that's not true. 
People do all kinds of things apart from Christ. But we know what Christ means. You can't do, you can, you can do nothing as far as genuine spiritual life, genuine fruit, authentic fruit bearing. Genuine, if you want to call it spirituality. You can't do any of that apart from me. He doesn't, he doesn't mean you can't do anything, period. There are a lot of people doing lots of things. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes. I love summer. Sometimes people do lots of things in the name of Christ. But he's saying, apart from being connected to me, the true vine, when it comes to legitimacy, you can do nothing. That's important to know. He's the source of life, but he's also the source of fruitfulness. Among other things, let's help, let's remember, we, you know, we don't check the salvation box and then move beyond Jesus. Got the fire insurance. It's, you continue to abide. You're with me now because you want salvation. You're with me then because you want sanctification. <laughs> Legitimacy. Verse 6 says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. That's pretty exclusive. But it makes all the sense in the world if he's the true vine. He's central. He's sufficient. He's the one. He's the source. How about verse 7? If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, and I want to suggest to you that those are complementary, not, not to be divorced, not to be separated and dissected. If you abide in me, which is what he's been saying, and my words abide in you, now we're getting a little bit of better understanding. We're, get, we're having, if, if it's been the, the pencil sketch in black, uh, and white, now we're getting a little bit of the filled in color. What does he mean by abide? He says it so many times. Well, he helps us to understand what he means on a practical level. And my words abide in you. My words, which are authoritative, which are true words, regarding eternal life and regarding anything. This really helps me. Am I abiding or am I not abiding? Am I continuing? Am I still associated with Christ? Well, part of that is His, his words abiding in me. It, it, it's, it's the authority in my life. Whether it's regarding salvation, the person and work of Jesus, or, 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 or anything. I'm continuing to believe that Christ's words are the authoritative words. What He says is right. He's my go-to. If there's something that's in conflict with what Jesus says, where, where, where am I? Do, I? do I abide in Him or do I abide in something else? That's no doubt what He's getting at. If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you.
that's pretty good. It's meant to be great. And as I like to say, if you want to start a false religion and do Jesus junk, just quote the end of it out of context. Ask whatever you want and it'll be done for you. Yeah, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, and guess what? If you abide in Christ and his word abides in you, the kind of stuff you're going to be asking for are the kind of, is the kind of stuff you should be asking for. Oh, okay. I think that's what he means. And our greater context from chapter 13, chapter 14, and chapter 15 is about loving other people in response to his love for you. I have to tell you, just yesterday, I'm praying to the Lord, and I cheat in application because I already know what the sermon's going to be. But having learned this, facing a situation where I don't know how to love the people I need to love, I don't, know how to, I don't know how to bear that kind of fruit. Lord, help me. Lord, help me to know how it is. I know the right thing to do. I know these people need to be loved. I know I need to love them. It's the right thing. Help me to know how to love them because I actually don't even know how. They're in an impossible situation. I think the Lord answered the prayer. We'll see more about that, I think, as we go on. I don't want you to take my word for it that it's about love. We're going to get to that. Maybe one more thing about verse 7. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What are these 11 individuals about to see happen to the one they love more than anyone? Cross despised, forsaken, beaten. Isaiah the prophet says he's marred more than any man. All unjustly crucified. The just crucified, that's not right. See, that's why we read the Bible in context. Each one of those individuals to a person would like that to not happen. And in a certain context, their prayer would be, keep that from happening. See, we're seeing abide in me and abide in my word. And you ask whatever you want and it'll be done. Yeah, whatever it is, is in line with the will of Christ. His Word, abiding in Him, His agenda, according to His Word. Now it looks a little bit different. The pastor in me just wants to always help you to just read the Bible, big picture, context. Not buying into Jesus' junk and being led astray. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified. <laughs> Time to wake up now. By this, my Father is glorified. By this God, the God of the universe, the God of heaven and earth, God, the Lord God Almighty, the all-knowing, the all-powerful, knows the beginning from the end. By this, God is glorified. You might want to get out your pen, <laughs> you know, if you're the disciples. <laughs> Start the presses. 
talk about being able to sell a best-selling book. I'm going to tell you how to please God. I mean, this is just like staggering to the mind. I mean, this should be the most important thing we would ever, 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 ever hear. Tell me. I'm ready. You're going to tell me. Who, by the way, is a sinner? How to glorify God? <laughs> Here we go. Verse 8, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Might not be the answer we were looking for, but it's the right answer. And it's so amazing on different levels because proving to be the disciple of Jesus, the one who's going to be crucified, is how you glorify God. Wow, that tells us and reminds us, which we've been reminded of all throughout John, that Jesus is extraordinary. Jesus is special. If you're proven to be one of his disciples, that's in the realm and in the category of glorifying the one true almighty God, the God of heaven and earth. Jesus is exceptional. He's not on the level of Gandhi or Buddha or anybody else ever, 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 ever. He's unique, but do notice... By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. There it is. What is God's will for Pat's life? That Pat would bear much fruit and prove to be a disciple of Jesus. That glorifies God. That's what God's looking for. It's what God is looking for in your life if you're a believer. It's what He's looking for in my life. God wants me to bear much fruit and prove by my fruit bearing, that I'm alive, right? And I belong to Jesus. We know this functions and exists in lots of different ways, on lots of different levels, but let's at least make sure we know that this is it. To glorify God has you acting the way you're supposed to act. Showing that you're alive. Not acting like you're spiritually dead like you used to be, but spiritually alive, abiding in the vine. Bearing much fruit. This is awesome. And it's not just about the ruler. It's not just about the rules either. But let's let's keep going in, in into verse nine. He talks about relationship here, not just not just commandment, not just fruit bearing. And we're going to see that has to do with love because that's what human beings are made to do. But verse 9 says, look there where it says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. As the Father has loved me. I'm going to put my finger there and ask you this question. How has the Father loved the Son? Let's, let's, let's grade him on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the best. It's a ridiculous question, right? The Father has loved the Son perfectly, flawlessly. That's how the Father has loved us. He's loved His Son like, like a son, like a perfect son from a perfect Father. And so, as the Father has loved me, 
holding nothing back, right? Extraordinarily, lavishly, appropriately, fittingly, but perfectly, then so I have loved you, abide in my love. You know, it's, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what else I can do to try to float your boat today. <laughs> the Son loves you if you're a believer like the Father loved the Son. And that should cross all of your wires. And you might feel that in certain ways at certain times, but you might not. And these disciples in this context, because he's prepping them for radical persecution, I can tell you right now, aren't going to be feeling very good when they face it. And I just offer that as a good, helpful, I hope, corrective and nudge First of all, this is about knowing things. Christians shouldn't just know things, but you've got to know stuff. You've got to know that as the Father loved the Son, Jesus says, I love you. It's so good. So And I don't even mind reminding you that he gave that qualifier early on, the the assuring qualifier, you're already clean. I love you as the Father loved me perfectly, you who are already clean. Because of what I do. But it's in that environment, it's in that context, he's pushing and he's saying, abide in me. Abide in me. Continue, abide in my word, which is the same thing. It would be spiritually insane to do something else. I love verse 9. Where has verse 9 been my whole life? And isn't it it's, it's sweet? It's, it's, it's just, it's. As, as others have said, it's sweetly reasonable. This is sweet reasonableness. Because here he's been calling believers to act like believers. He tells us about this extraordinary love, and then he says it again, abide in my love. This is not cold. This is not harsh. This is extraordinary, sweet, wonderful, and reasonable. There's a fitting response to Jesus. No better place to be than to be abiding in Christ. But in just a little while, these individuals are going to think there are lots of better places to be. verses 18 to the end. We're going to learn about that. I keep reminding you because we want to remember that. This is not pie in the sky. Everything's going to be awesome. I hate to do it, but it's still super popular, so I'm going to do it again, even though I apologize because it's just beating a dead horse. This is not your best life now. They're about to face their worst life now. It's in that context Jesus is reminding them that I love you like the Father loves me. 
So when your life is horrific and terrible in the here and now, you've got to know you're in the right place. Let's move on. 10, 11, 12, 13. There are too many verses. Okay. Verse 10 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So here we have another idea of what that looks like. Okay, that, that has to do with his commandments. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. It's the sweet reasonableness again. I remind you, it's written to people who have eternal life, who've already been made clean. Jesus didn't just drive the bus into the ditch. Believe for eternal life. Believe for eternal life. Believe for eternal life. Believe in me for eternal life. Believe in me for eternal life. It's all about what Jesus does. But believers are supposed to act a certain way. If you keep my commandments, loyalty to me, connected, abiding, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So remember that. Verse 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Joy, let's call it extraordinary, supernatural, transcending circumstances. Bliss. Happiness. Sometimes I don't like the word happiness because it's tied to happenstance. But it's it's this positive, right way of thinking. That's why I want to say blissful because it would involve emotion. This is good. Christ's joy. And He is not going to feel great here not very long. And He knows they're not going to. By extension, you're not going to. But I'm going to give you my joy, he says, that your joy may be made, may be full. We're going to stop after this, but, but just hang in there with me just in a moment, because again, this, this is one of those kind of out there statements, keep it in our context. Joy, satisfaction that transcends circumstances is going to be tied to doing the right thing. All of this is going to be shown to be, this is in the context of doing the right thing and loving others even while you're being hated. And, and, and how can you have joy through all that? You're just going to keep doing the right thing and knowing that this is what you're supposed to be doing and I'm the model, I'm the example for that Jesus is going to have them to know. Maybe a great cross-reference to jot down, I'll read it regarding Jesus and joy and suffering. Hebrews 12, 2, if you would listen carefully. Looking to Jesus. Oh, Hebrews is interesting because it's kind of parallel to John 15 and hostilities. You're you're, going to think about not abiding anymore. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
It was no happy moment. It was a terrible moment. But for the joy set before him, what he's getting at is doing the right thing, doing the Father's will, doing what he was sent here to do. That's, that brings joy. And here we're learning that what glorifies God is that you would bear much fruit and prove to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And as we see in our greater context, it has to do with love. The son goes. He lays his life down. We're going to see it not today, unfortunately. Who, who made clocks? Um, he laid his life down for his friends. That's the greatest thing. Was the joy set before him? He's going to do that. He's going to do the right thing. He's he's bearing fruit in the sense he's showing signs of life. He's doing the right thing. What he was sent here to do. And here we have his joy, and now we can have joy that's full joy. He's talking to believers. We're being Christ-like. We're loving others, and that brings joy. I know that's a lot of stuff to keep in your head. People, Christians, who bear fruit and obey the commandments of the Lord, specifically of loving other believers, no matter what's happening in their life, no matter what kind of circumstances are going on, are the people who have this unique, Christ-given, amazing kind of joy. It's not always what I want to do. Maybe most of the time it's not what I want to do. I just, I I think I just want to be happy. (laughs) I just want more money in my bank account. I just want something shinier in my garage. I just want, 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 and I'm going to be happy. I'm going to find fulfillment. And it never works. The extraordinary, exceptional fullness of joy that would come from Christ. If he's the model, it's in his fruit-bearing obedience, even death on a cross. And his joy would be unrivaled joy. We think obedience and joy, eh, they fight, they're enemies, and they don't even fit together. No, doing what you're made to do, made alive in Christ to do, is going to bring fulfillment. It's going to bring joy. What did Christ come here for? To go to the cross. Was it horrific and painful? Yes. Did it bring joy? Absolutely. Because it was what He came here to do. We're saved and we're given new life and we're saved to bear fruit because that glorifies God because that's what we're made to do. That's where joy comes from. When I do the right thing, I have joy in my life. but I may not always be happy or thrilled about it. I might not feel good about it. Well, we need to stop for now. I need to mark where in the world we were. Verse 12 says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Is that law or gospel? That's law. That's law. 
Because he's saying it to people who are Christians. And now they're saved to do the right things. To love. (laughs) They're saved to obey now. It's the fruit of the gospel. Because they're clean. Remember that. Now we're saved to do the right things. It's amazing. We should pray, or we will be here all day. I have more Colombo stories, though, if anyone would like to stay after. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ, for the true vine. Thank you that according to your sovereign grace, we might be joined to him, and we might be able to truly abide in him. Continue to remind us that being associated with, connected to, believing in Christ is far more valuable than anything else. And may we find him to be our ultimate joy and may we receive his joy and may we find joy in even doing what he calls us to do, what he saved us to do. Encourage us that we would seek to imitate Christ's love, the love that he's had for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.